1: Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com
0: slash guest.
1: Good evening, everyone. And uh, and I was thinking a lot about what to share and what would be useful and it started to come to me that i really wanted to talk about faith and how we cultivate faith from many different perspectives what happens when we lose faith and our lives and the meaning and how from the buddhist perspective how why does the buddha say that faith is the seed of the path there's a very strong emphasis on this quality. So um, and also it's very sort of revered in a lot of the the top lists. So it's for those of you who are <laughs> tracking that, it's one of the five spiritual faculties, the five powers. It's the first one, faith. I'll give you the other four just in case. Faith and vigor, mindfulness, concentration and wisdom these qualities of virtue that we cultivate on the path, and then then they become transcendent, transformational. It's also faith is one of the four streams of merit, which um, merit in many ways is kind of like our good karma bank account. (laughs) You know, every time we're meditating and we're acting with a pure heart and body, speech and mind, or we do acts of kindness, generosity, even just the thought of Love or the thought of somebody else is said to generate this kind of energy they call merit, right? So you have gained heaps here, right? If you're if you're into that, you know, belief, and there is something to that. Sort of our good karma account, right? And um, the faith is a stream of that because when one has a lot of faith, right? A lot of faith in the Dharma, a lot of faith in um, the practices then they're acting in certain ways that would contribute to I guess you could say right conduct ethical conduct and also they would reap some of the fruit of that also faith um, which I like the word a lot is sada in Pali this word faith is a prime factor in stream entry and Just to describe this really quickly, stream entry is basically, they say, when one enters this stream of freedom, basically, it's where the mind is entered into stages of awakening that it doesn't fall back from, right? It moves into a state of really radical purification. And so I also like the word stream entry, entering the stream of pure consciousness, right? Clear, awake, free which is all of our birthright. It's important to say that. So um, the, some of the Buddha's words, and a lot of times in the Buddha's teachings too, he used to, the image of plowing land because in ancient India, this is what was very common, you know, the oxen and the sheep. And so there's a lot of metaphors using this. So I just want to read this um, from the Pali Canon. Faith is the seed and practice is the rain. Wisdom is my yoke and plow. modesty's the pole. The mind is the strap. Mindfulness, my plowshare and goad. You can see it's like how to get through, it's like this thing in the seed of faith. And you know, I have to admit, I've been practicing for um, pretty much, pretty intensively for almost 20 years. My um, first retreat was around 23. Mm-hmm. So I have had a lot of times where my faith was very strong and then it, and my faith would wane a little bit, right? I would kind of... And it's almost like the Buddha and I would have breakups. <laughs> it's Like, you don't get me anymore, Buddha. You don't... Uh, you know, I'm not relating to you. We need a break for a while, right? I need to explore other... <laughs> you know, and... um and of course, I want to emphasize something that the Buddha is just us. It's that I'm relating to my own mind. And so when I would have these breakups as some part of myself, I'm pushing away, right? And Or I'm confused or I get hurt by life. And that creates like, wow, I thought I'm following a spiritual path. Why did someone steal my tires? I don't get it, right? We somehow <laughs> think that like we're good nothing ever unpleasant should happen right i i practice meditation i'm kind and we forget that we're we're in samsara everything is always happening to everybody right just because we're a practitioner yes some really beautiful things happen for sure but you know we're living in this realm And so at times I was thinking earlier, and it was so good because as a Dharma teacher, you're inspired to teach what you need to hear. So in some ways, I'm teaching myself. In some ways, I'm re-remembering this quality for myself. And as I was sitting earlier, reflecting and reading and reading some suttas and looking at this quality, I started to get really a lot of tears Because I was reflecting on my first trip to India many years ago. And I went on this trip um, and I was meeting, and I was a lot of times I was with my friend who's also a teacher here, Temple Smith. Some of you probably know him. We've been dear friends for years and have pilgrimaged all over. And I was meeting him and I was meeting other friends along the path. I was meeting another friend in Nepal. And to, To kind of go on this pilgrimage, usually you visit the four holy sites, the place where the Buddha was born, the place where the Buddha died, the place where the Buddha gave um, the first teachings, and the place where he attained full enlightenment, which is Bodhgaya. And so we were doing a very traditional pilgrimage, and I was feeling a lot of faith as I was going along. And I remember... I spent the most uh, big part of my trip, I spent almost a month in Bodh Gaya. And at the Bodhi tree, there is this beautiful kind of, it's a refuge because Bodh Gaya is very intense, right? It's in the poorest state in India, Bihar. And it's just really, really, it's a lot of suffering there. And yet there's this beautiful place of a profound seat of awakening and a pilgrimage place for people from all over the world who go, wanting to visit, wanting to offer prayers, wanting to um, go there for many different reasons. All walks of life come there. I saw everybody. I was international. Um, but of course, I saw the majority of Tibetan practitioners and I. Um, So we started to go there every day and spend many hours as we do. And there's a beautiful garden and there's a piece of the Bodhi tree, right? That was supposed to have been taken from the original. So there's a tree in the middle and then there's the huge stupa. And then there's a, for those of you who haven't been there, there's kind of a walkway and gardens and all this grassy area. And on this grassy area, you see maybe about three or 400 people doing prostrations with prostration boards right and they're out there all day and so it dawned on me about the third or the fourth day and we were spending hours there in the park gathering talking reflecting um that I said you know what I want to offer 1008 prostrations and so um you know my friends were like wow you you know great (laughs) so (laughs) the next morning I got up and you know And when you're doing a full Tibetan prostration, it's basically like a full sun salutation, right? You're you're, you're tapping your forehead, you're tapping your third eye, you tap your heart, has to lay flat. They all must touch. So your forehead needs to touch the ground, your heart needs to touch the ground. And then you kind of pull yourself up with your abs, (laughs) right? And so um, I was like, wow, okay, this is a little harder after about 50, you know, I was like, (laughs) all right, wow, you know but i was really committed i said i want to offer this thousand i'm here and it was at the end of a huge uh prayer festival and there was about mm, 500 monks and nuns and i saw and it was a beautiful environment because as i was coming through looking for a spot i was between maybe a, a, a 90-year-old tibetan woman and all these monastics and nuns and everybody's praying and we're look, we're facing the bodhi tree and there's pictures of the buddhas everywhere and there's somebody walking through with this huge thing of incense just walking like just kind of purifying all the you know prayers and chanting mani padme hum, mani padme hum. and there's people in the main part doing groups there also chanting the heart sutra and all of this is like it's sort of the backdrop right of this moment and so i'm out there and, um, I just keep going with the prostrations and I, you know, I did 50 and then I would stop for a little bit, take a breath and this devotion. And I started to wonder, like, as I see all these people hour after hour going, and then some beautiful person would come by and be like, chai, chai, and I'll be like, "Ah, oh, chai, yeah, you know, and it was like a marathon. But then I started to think, well, what am I bowing to? Why am I doing this spring? Why are you, why are you out here? And I would sit and reflect, you know, for a moment, and I would say, wow, I'm bowing to this real possibility that I can end suffering. Like, I don't even, and I would would have to define it with each bow. I would be like, what am I bowing to again? What, this idea of freedom, this real, what is freedom? And I would think to myself, what am I taking refuge in here? And I would start, these tears were starting to come as each bow, and it was getting harder too, right? The physicality, the heat was coming, and I wasn't stopping, and no one else was either, <laughs> right? And it was like sweat and tears, and like, I was just saying, no, what am I bowing to? I'm bowing to some faith in something so much bigger than what I know, than where I came from, right? That the story is so much bigger than where I started like the story of this poor girl from, you know, LA and gang area, you know, it's like, oh God, that's such a, that is one story, but that's not the big one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And I decided to just feel this, 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 this power. And, um, so I did that. I ended up out there for many hours. I got up the next day and I went again. And, um, still I was in a very deep state of reflecting, like, what is this Buddha nature? Is this quality in me? What am I, is freedom possible? And um, so I was out there again and I was to continue to bow. And it was really funny because I was there. Also, my friends, you know, were staying at the same hostel. So they were circumambulating. And I remember, you know, so they were going around so they could see me down like on the with everybody else in the sea of people. And so I remember I was in this really profound moment, like, Looking at the tree, tired, but just kept, you know, doing prostrations. And then I hear this voice that's like, go, springers, right? And I look up and like my friends are over there, like, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, right, right. Right. Thanks, guys. I was in the deepest moment of my life. And they were like, you can do it. And even that became part of it. You know, it's like that made me cry. You know, it was like what am I doing and where am I going, where are we trying to go here, you know, with my little group that we were so like freedom and, but where are we going, what are we, what are we having this faith in, and I want to, and I, I really believe that there is something that's so real about the dharma, right, that there is a genuine path here, There's something ancient and profound, something that we already know is in our bones. Like these teachings, we're just reminding you of your own wisdom. You just forgot a little bit. (laughs) And we're always forgetting. It's like when I teach a Dharma talk, I forget. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, the moment I'm waking myself up. I'm remembering myself. So none of these teachings is unfamiliar. I feel like we already know this. We already kind of know the path. It's just that our society in the world is going in such a different direction that the overwhelming, you know, the stream of that, it just carries us away, right? And this place, Spirit Rock, always reminds me, this place feels like a giant butter lamp to me. And I look at the top of the roof and I imagine it's just like a candle wick, Mm -hmm. And it's like this place lights a thousand lights, a thousand lights, a thousand lights, you know, and it goes out and out and out. And um, so I love meditation centers because it's always about helping you remember who you are, remember your truth. And um, but we're not we're not giving you anything that you actually don't know. And the Buddha, there is this one teaching where it's described and um, where it's a path that has been covered over. So if we didn't go every year or every so often and clear these paths again, over time they would become lost, right? right? It's like any path through the woods, it has to be constantly managed, right? To keep it walkable, put the signpost up. And the Buddha, in some ways, was like, I didn't invent this path. What I did was I like, cleared the way again. Like, it was it was forgotten. And he went and he found it. And it was like, OK, let me clear the dust. And oh, my gosh, wow, chop this and cut that. And then put up little signposts. This way, <laughs> everyone, this way. <laughs> but the path goes beyond even that maybe trillions of years old, ancient, right? Older than the universe. This isn't invented by a being. This is the way. And so I think what our faith does is ask us to believe in something much bigger, much more possible for ourselves, a much bigger storyline. Because the stories that we tell, they're so claustrophobic, right? Then we feel it. We tell a story and we're in a cage. And then we're the bird in the cage, right? And then it's like, ah, how do I get out of this? And um, stepping into this path is stepping into a much bigger, much bigger vision, a much bigger story. And in some way, this is the fairy tale, you know, we are the hero and the heroine and the hero's journey, trying to figure out, you know, how to get on the right track, you know. So there's something also really real about that as an archetypal journey. It's a mythological, this story. And the Buddha's own life is filled with myth and legend. And whether you believe it to be true or you're just like, oh, it's a nice vision. But. How do you relate to your life and your story? I think that's a piece of faith, a part of it. So they say that faith is um, a powerful force which can start a practitioner on the journey. And it can convey a sense of awakening. So sometimes we get initiated into a tradition because we get a hit of a really big faith, like a bright faith, initial faith, right? You go to a teaching one night and your mind is just open. Something happens and we go, yes, right? And that is really great because this kind of represents this opening to it, right? We say, okay, I can do this. I can, this is for me. This is speaking to me on so many levels. And we get really excited. People have that experience coming here to Spirit Rock or meeting a teacher or sitting in a group or something. They have that initial faith. But, um, and this can come, you know, by listening to the teachings, putting them into practice. Um, The Buddha described the path of enlightenment as starting with faith actually in the Buddha and then by continuing with virtue. So I think one of these qualities that we take a look at is our faith in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Like, how do we relate to that? Because again, we're relating always to ourselves. I was uh, Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche in the uh, Shambhala, the founder of the whole Shambhala school. Controversial teacher, I would say. Uh, but nobody debates his profound wisdom. That's never the, the question. The other life, other things, yes. But wow, what a powerful mind. And i um, he had enormous faith, you know, and there's a story about in his biography when he was leaving Tibet and they were fleeing basically as kind of as the Chinese army was coming in, they had to flee really quickly and cross over the Himalayan mountains. And he was with a group of people and he writes about this experience in his biography because I think, um, yeah, it was a teaching moment and also a radical moment of freedom. He, As he was crossing, they were attacked by the military and they had already had heard everything that was happening. And they were particularly the military was looking for llamas to very much kind of, you know, harm right kill them right they, they had a particular you know because they felt like they were propagating lies right so they had a particular view of that so he was this great incarnated lama very revered and respected so as they were leaving and they had their their their, their being tracked and they're done shots and his whole party scatters and it becomes just him and his attendant that gets separated from the group and they're hiding behind this bush they're sitting behind this bush And they see the military guys looking for them. they see them going right. They see them going left. And they're like, okay, this is it, right? And then it dawns on them as they're sitting behind this bush that the bush had no leaves on it. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, you know, it's just sticks. And they're like, why are we being seen here, right? (laughs) Like, this is crazy. They're looking right at us. And he writes, he looked at his attendants and both of them had to stop from hysterically laughing. They, The humor of it seemed so funny because they were literally just two people sitting with nothing with these sticks and they're totally baffled at where they went. And they were just like, you know, trying so hard not to just die laughing. But that was also a moment of facing death, right? They were like, well, this is it, right? We're surely caught, you know, and that's going to be pretty awful. But all right, here we go and um so the military they, they were confused and they wandered off right and so the reflection was that you know it was like wow this really profound faith was like a protection right there was some magic that happened right there like they were they were obscured they were not able to be seen right something happened in that moment and he was able to escape and as we know, my gosh, Trump, regardless of, you know, controversy has started a worldwide movement, right? There was something that was supposed to happen there. And I think one of the things is when we have faith too, we're also open to magic because we're trusting life. We trust the moment. We trust that what is happening is uh, okay, workable, and on time. And I think that, you know, when we get past the initial bright faith, we have to find a deeper sense of who we are, a deeper sense of trusting the practice. Do you feel like you trust your practice yet? <laughs> yeah, it's like it grows, right? Some people are like, yeah, some people are like, I don't know yeah, <laughs> right? That we have everything that we need to meet this moment, but we're but we pull back. We're uncertain, right? A quality of doubt seeps in. Doubt and where is this going? We get afraid. We pull away. We don't trust. And so a lot of our journey becomes about trusting that everything is arising as it should be. Can I let go of the worry mind? Can I let go of all the list and the control? I think Northerners in particular, we're control freaks, huh? (laughs) I just you know I spent a year in Peru not that long ago and I lived with indigenous communities and granted they're extreme they have no sense of time like if you need something you have to go get the person you know often I would be working with healers i be like okay I have to go get, they don't if I say can you be here at five five o'clock what do you well so-and-so came over and then I had to help them and then you never know what happened and then another thing it's all logical why that time made no sense they didn't live in But the sense of ease of this kind of trust, you know, now rather it's delusional or liberating, I don't know, but wow, it's so different. It's just like, okay, yeah, we're going to get to it. Yeah, we're going to work on that. Just let's have a fiesta for a little few hours. Don't be too worried. You know, often I think, all right, you know, working and they're like, gosh, you're so worried. It's all going to work out here you know, it might just happen tomorrow, right? Not now. Right? And so there's a lot of, I think, letting go and traveling to other places. Because our immediate, we lose ourselves in our list, our time, our schedule, our like, this has to happen right now, this has to happen. And this kind of way that we approach that is how we approach our meditation, right? It's how we work with our mind, And our meditation practice is not beholden to our wishes at all. In fact, it's not even on that track, right? When we try to build up a sense of self, we try to grasp on, we try to accumulate something, it all crashes. It's like we try to build on, hold on, grasp on, and then It's like we just built something we thought was solid, but it was just a house of cards, (laughs) right? And the one slip, it's all tumbled. So this faith becomes a really important piece because it gives us faith that everything is okay. I think there's a deeper sense of okayness. You know, it's almost like when I first came into practice, there's this alarm button that's going on, like a fire alarm. And that's really the ego's favorite game. It sits in the moment like this, you're feeling peace, and it goes, something's wrong, (laughs) And then that moment of something, all the anxiety, all the right? And then we're off on a treasure hunt, right? Is it this? Is it that? Is it that? Right? And the suffering kind of comes out of that. And I guess what happens when we have a little bit more faith on our, in ourselves with this practice, that it's a, it's a cooling out that happens. Like with Anna saying like her mind was getting calm. It's like, oh, wow, this is nice. Right. And it's not that it's perfect because, again, we're not here to perfect ourselves. We're learners. We're path walkers. This is school. And learning how to be here is the teaching. Right. That's a really important um, part of it. So I want to read you something from the Great Bodhisattva Samantabhadra. This is from the Mahayana tradition in the Avatamaka Saka Sutra. So he says, "Faith is the basis of the path, the mother of virtue. Nur- Sorry. Faith is the basis of the path and the mother of virtues, nourishing and growing all good ways, cutting away the net of doubt." freeing from the torrent of passion, revealing the unsurpassed road of ultimate peace. When faith is undefiled, the mind is pure, obliterating pride. It is the root of reverence and the foremost wealth in the treasury of religion. Faith is generous. Faith can joyfully enter the Buddha's teachings. Faith can increase knowledge and virtue. Faith can ensure arrival at enlightenment. Faith can go beyond the pathways of demons and reveal the unsurpassed road of liberation. Faith is the unspoiled seed of virtue. Faith can grow the seed of enlightenment. Faith can increase supreme knowledge. Faith can reveal all the Buddhas. Faith is most powerful, very difficult to have. It's like in all worlds having the wondrous, wish-fulfilling pearl. I was like, wow, that's a beautiful statement. And um, I feel that when I feel reverence and devotion, actually. And faith is not, it's not meant to be blind faith either. It's something, this is a quality of the heart. It's not so much a quality of the intellect or the, the heavy mind, although blind faith is often talked about by the Buddha. Do not have blind faith. Actually investigate. Understand, see for yourself. Don't believe what I'm saying, right? You have to see these teachings. You have to try it. You have to turn it over and over. And then see for yourself, is this meaningful for you? Does this is feel true for you? It's not about just believing someone else's story. Actually, that's frowned upon. It's actually to cultivate this lamp of your own exploration. right? the Buddha says, be a lamp unto yourself. Right? You have to investigate your own mind uh, and be willing to do that on some level. There's no way to uproot free uproot suffering without looking at it. To get to the root of it, you have to get very close. <laughs> It'd be like if we went to the doctor and he said, You have a terrible disease. And we said, I don't want to hear about it. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not, then you can't treat it, get better, understand how to work. You know, we have to actually be willing to get close to the places that are really contracted really confused so i wanted to just tell a story because i was inspired by one of our lovely our lovely yoga teacher to say this story about um that i have given in other talks but um i feel that it's a really about a faith story so many years ago i was on a long retreat at the place in massachusetts and called the Forest Refuge Small Center, and I was there on a seven-month retreat one time, and I had just sat with all these Burmese side owls, and so I'd been like, Phew. and I was having kind of a crisis of faith, like, I can't do this anymore. It's about five months. I was like, I'm cooked. I'm done. Nothing left, right? I, ah, I, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be with my mind anymore. I don't want to do this. I, I was having a meltdown this one morning, like, I can't, I don't, I don't want, I you know wanting not wanting wanting not wanting <laughs> and i'd really work myself up into like a frenzy right not only did i not want to be there i never wanted to be there ever again right it was <laughs> i renounced this on every level right <laughs> again my breakups all you know i've had to break up and get back together many times So I went into the library and I'd already read every single thing in the little tiny library. And mostly they were like these giant texts, like polycanon one version, middle length discourses. I, you know, and you saw how you were right there with the books, right? It's like, oh my God, what is this? Right. (laughs) The mind, imagine five months, right? I had no phone, nothing. So my mind had looked for, I would spend so long just reading a sign on the board. I'd be like, right don't put your shoes there wow really good (laughs) are the shampoo bottles for long what is all this (laughs) right anything that can get a little entertainment right so i wandered in the library knowing so well i'd looked at everything in there but you know and so i'm looking along and then i see something right between these two giant buddhist bibles someone had slipped this tiny book It wasn't tiny, but it was like a self-published book, maybe 150 pages. So I was like, oh, my God, what is it? Like, pull it out, right? And it didn't have much information. I could tell it was self-published. And it had a camel on the front, and it said, the camel knows the way. And I was like, what? But I flipped through it, and I was like, I'm going to read this. You know, I was desperate. So I ran back to my room and was like, what? (laughs) What is this, right? But it actually became a really profound book. Someone very smart had, had cherished that book and slid it, right, in there and left, you know, a visitor or some other yogi. So I go back to my room and I open up this really beautiful book that is a book about this woman who is actually a philanthropist. And it was about her 25-year friendship with Mother Teresa. And she was a Buddhist and also a devout Catholic, devoted to both paths equally. Would go on Vipassana retreats and then fly to New Delhi, India, Calcutta, and work on these different projects and help Mother Teresa. And it was this really beautiful book about their friendship. And they had a really deep friendship. And I'm not sure if this woman is still alive. She was from London. Um, and she um and also it was a book about her struggle to open her heart. It was a real account. She would go work with Mother Teresa, and she felt like Mother Teresa would just break her down, like keep opening to compassion, and she would just get uh, so overwhelmed with the projects and the work and the seeing the suffering. And um, you know, she would run off, and then she would come back, and then she would run off. So she actually was very wealthy, and she was uh, older and fragile, actually. And so she, one day, she got so tired of it. She was like, "I can't have any more compassion. I can't take it." And then she ran off and she decided that she wanted to do a pilgrimage across the desert which is I think very typical for Christian mystics and to reenact certain things and the, the you know the mysticism of the Middle East and the Desert Fathers and you know it's a big part um, traveling through the desert can be it's a journey. So she had arranged to have a guide and have everything set up and she um, you know and the guide and her the guide and how she described the guide and the sun was, they didn't really speak that much English. So it was a lot of kind of, um, gesturing and it had all been arranged and everything. So anyway, they were going to take her on this 18 day trek and they had camels. So she was going to ride on this camel and all this, you know, so they, I don't know, maybe five or six days into the trip and they're in the middle of nowhere and they would basically get up in the as the sun rose and get tea and breakfast and then ride on the camels and stop at different times and then the sun down you know she would read and write and the father and son would kind of a fire and talk and and they were all very polite to each other you know but since she didn't speak their language it was a little bit of a distance there obviously so the one morning they get up and everything's going as normal. They put her on the camels. They get put all the provisions on there. And then they start to turn around and go the opposite direction. And she's going, hello, wait, where are you going? You know. And he knew this one English line very clearly. He said, oh, the camel knows the way. <laughs> and starts leaving her there, right? And then she just went into like crying, screaming, I'm going to die. What do you want? I paid you to take me to the next place. You're my guide, you know, and, and they were gone. Basically, they didn't respond. They just, that was like, you know, and they smacked the camel on the butt. That was like, and it started walking, right? Right before he said the camel knows the way, smacked it. <laughs> so the camel's walking and she's there. And she basically, this chapter is describing the next 15 hours on this camel of I'm dying out here. I've been abandoned to, oh my God, how could this happen? She was terrified to get off the camel. She was going through her old life. And why did this happen? Every possible review you could do, right? And she's crying and raging. How could they do this? There's no way for a a woman of my age to die out here. I could, bandits could come, you know, all these stories. You could imagine being alone. And she saw no one. And she's, going through all this at one point it was even like she was so scared she had water and a little bit of stuff with her but she didn't want to get off the camel because she wasn't really in that great of condition so she just like peed on the camel and like it was like on and on this like horror story right and while she's just going through all this the camel's just slowly walking She's convinced, how could this camel? There's nowhere to tell the time, direction, nothing. This is impossible. It's just a desert. How do you know? So, so finally, after maybe eight or 10 hours, she just gets so tired of that. She starts thinking of Mother Teresa and the Buddha and all the teachers that she had met in her life. She started reflecting on the Dharma. She started reflecting on Jesus and the love that she felt that she could open to when she had this heart of compassion. And she thought about all the things Mother Teresa would say to her while they were sipping tea about faith, faith and trust, Right. And she's like, oh my gosh, you know, okay, I'm all right. And she reconciled for those few hours just dying out there. She's like, "If this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to die with these memories of all this beauty I've had in my life and these teachings and this path. And I'm going to die with prayers of love and devotion on my lips. I'm not going to go out as a screaming, raving, you know, hysterical mess, right? And she was just totally fine with this camel will just go until she starves to death or falls. Like, she really had come to complete force to come to complete letting go right so and then there had happened she sees the sun in the sky it's starting to move it's like darkness and she's just okay this is it this is it you know you know and just singing at that point completely you know just holding mother trace in one hand and the buddha in the other in her heart And sure enough, so she's just lying, you know, getting tired, obviously exhausted from that kind of day. But she sees these twinkling of these lights out in the distance. And um, as she's walking along, the camel's getting closer and closer. And she's like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. And then the camel's getting closer and closer. And exactly on time, not a moment later, the camel pulled up in the exact spot. It knew the way. So that was a moment where I really, really needed to hear that, right? Because it was like the heart knows the way, <laughs> you know? And, then, and I think that we just need to trust our heart. There's this GPS system on it. <laughs> and if we listen to it and we're present and we attune to it, you know, through the body and we're willing to listen and be guided right, to be guided, to trust what's happening, even when it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, this is confusing, what's going on, right, to just hold on, be patient, and trust, I think something really um, profound comes from that, so I needed to hear that story, and um, it was really helpful for me, because I had felt like I had lost my way a bit, and sometimes we lose our faith for periods of times. Like I remember my sister when she was very young, she was in her early 20s. She had a very, she had met a very beautiful teacher, a psychologist. He was a Western man. And he was um, in his 50s and she was in her twenties at the time. And she became a very devoted student of his. And he would do these workshops and up in the mountains and she would go up there and she became very dedicated and felt like she was getting so much out of it. And he became almost like a father figure for her. She was organizing events for him and she was getting so much better. She was just healing from all this childhood stuff and helping others do these small workshops. It's kind of more like the stall based therapy a little bit, like kind of radical stuff. And, and, um, and, Out of the blue, he killed himself. And in my sister's faith was shattered for 10 years. She couldn't believe in teachers anymore. She was like, he was teaching workshops called Befriend Your Life, (laughs) right? And, And she understands now that he had been in love with a woman who wasn't reciprocating that. But the shock of that led to this severing of faith, like a destruction of it in some way. And she was devastated for a couple of years. It was just like she couldn't even say his name, right? And of course, my sister, my mother, my, we had known him. So we also couldn't believe it. this was like nothing in that person's character. So sometimes what happens is our faith is destroyed by a trauma. We no longer trust the universe. It's like, no, you're not on my side. You're against me and I'm not participating in anything, in any flow here. I will control it because I got hurt, right? We have that, we sort of don't recognize that we're out of flow. We've like taken ourselves out of the flow of the mandala and we're like holding ourselves out because of what happens. So faith coming back to seeing that Even the worst situation can actually be a beautiful teaching is really, really important. That even our trauma becomes a doorway. It can become your jewel if you allow it. I have seen this. And um, I'm also reminded about that teaching by this Tibetan teacher. Maybe some of you have heard of him, um, Barchan Triptul Rinpoche. And there's a beautiful documentary about him for the benefit of all beings, it's called. And I was lucky to meet him um, a few years ago when I was in D.C. at a teaching of this holiness, a big teaching over 10 days. And he, I had heard about him because he had been in a Chinese prison for 20 years and he had went through all kinds of torture. And he was there was a famous dialogue between him and the Dalai Lama that had come out where he said, um, were you ever scared? And he said, I was only scared when I lost my compassion for a little while. <laughs> That's kind of attributed to him. And and he um, he has a community in Arizona and a retreat center and hosts people on three-year retreats and all kinds of he's very And he carries a prayer wheel. So he's very interesting. He's like walking along and he keeps it going. Like, I don't even know if he sleeps, actually. <laughs> he's pretty awake you know, yeah. And just did he, I wonder if he ever stopped. So he asked, and then we asked him about his prayer wheels. He was like, oh yeah, millions of money, prayers, compassion, prayers. I have to keep spinning it. It's part of my, so he's like talking, you know, and, <laughs> and, and wow, the story about his forgiveness and his using the worst condition to attain some type of really profound freedom he has. Yeah, I, I, yeah. there's something very illuminated in his heart. And now to have gotten out of prison um, is quite astounding. And to then have started a whole community and films about him. So it's just like the second part of his life is just beginning. So I guess one of the things is like where you start isn't where you finish, right? And where your journey is now, you don't even know what's to come. That's the thing about faith, right? When we're just willing to follow some bigger surrender, we don't even know how our lives can be used or what, what could happen. This is like only the beginning chapters have been written here. This is like, we're still in the early part, right? It feels like so much more. Um, and And being able to access this, willingness to let go and to trust in something much bigger than our story our this kind of small sense of self right the contracted right and to start thinking of ourselves in something a lot vaster a lot more mysterious than we will ever know and you know one of the ways that you can do that is really reflect on the buddha dharma and sangha You know, these teachings, right? How we walk that path that was cleared, right? The Dharma is the food, the engine, right? It's like the truth, remembering the truth, remembering the truth. What's hard about this path is forgetfulness. (laughs) You know, we just forget. It's like, oh, I forgot to practice. It's been a year. Oh my gosh. You know, I bring people like that and they're like, I don't even know how. It's been two years since I came on retreat. I felt like I was just here. But you see, that forgetting. And it's like, okay, we wake up. It's perfect. But the idea is to become less forgetful, like less gaps. <laughs> and like slowly that comes together. So you can increase your faith too by making sacred pilgrimages, by going to places of devotion, by finding tapping into that quality in in yourself right it's like what is what gives me faith and who do I look to or where is compassionate who is that person what can I how do I help touch into devotion really it's the quality of the heart that is devoted to something in us that is undestructible they describe enlightenment or the mind as being undestructible impenetrable radiant clear luminous with truth right it's like that was what I was trying to bow to at the Bodhi tree like I couldn't articulate what I was bowing to but I was bowing with something so real and true deep down like all this is delusion but what I'm finding is that deepness and I would look at all those Tibetans and they just were bowing to the same thing <laughs> Hang out with Tibetans, you'll start feeling devotion, right? Because their devotion is like, oh my God, okay. I mean, they will prostrate all around Mount Kailash, right? A journey of unbelievable intensity on their knees the whole way, touching their head, right? As a sense of like bowing to this spirit in them, this quality. So we find our own way with it. And you will find yours and trusting in yourself. The the beautiful thing and the last thing I'll say is that this retreat is so much about feeling your body and your body is half of that. All of that really is that ability to feel your heart. Because again, it's your heart that is going to lead you. And when we override it, Suffering is going to happen sometimes, right? When we're not listening to that attunement, because here is all the devotion. Here is the devoted to the divine. Here is we're caught up in forgetting, right? But your heart, it's loyal to the deepest truth. (laughs) It's like my loyalty is with liberation and freedom because our heart longs to be free. Doesn't it? It's nature is to be free. When it can't be free, it gets sick right? It gets ill, terminal. It was like, if I can't open then what am I doing? Like, I can't. So trust that too, that we have that, that real potential. And I bow to that in myself all the time. I'm trying so hard to just find these layers and open more to truth, to beauty, to the Dharma, to the Buddha nature, and not only myself, but in all humanity, even if they're completely confused still it's like there's some light in there I know it because it's in every being every single being and then to take the joy and all the people who are walking that path isn't it fun to run in and as in Asia I love to run into other devoted people along the way it's like oh yeah we're all friends here we've probably done this for lifetimes together People often came up, someone just came up and said, I know I know you. And I'm like, yeah, we've done this lifetimes. It just came out. It was like, that seems obvious to me. I'm not just saying that. (laughs) We've done this. This is like, yeah, we're just re re reading on the brink of time again. Now I'm reminding you. Remember in the past, you reminded me. Maybe we reversed, you know? So I appreciate all of your dedication and that um this was helpful in some way for leaving and going out into this world that we all are part of so thank you for your kind attention and we'll do the classic let's sit for a moment huh we have to (sighs) And may our practice be for the liberation of all beings everywhere. Om Mani Padme Hum. Like fish with little water, life will not last. So let's practice with pure devotion and be mindful of impermanence. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening.